worship right now. Now is our time to start singing songs about God. To let the Holy Spirit just speak to us. So just join with us and stand up on your feet. We're going to start worship right now. If you're out in the hallways, man, we just encourage you to come on in. Hallelujah. Jesus, we worship you in this place, God. Lord, we thank you for the chains that are going to be broken this morning. We thank you for your spirit, oh God, that is here. We thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for us, God. And we ask that you would speak, oh Lord, in this place. Hallelujah, Jesus. We worship you, God. Come on, come on. 
telling the truth. Uh, I declare the devil is a liar. I recovered what the devil has stole from me for so long. Uh, spirit of emptiness, a spirit of brokenness. Uh, I raise my hands and I say, God, empty me of me and fill me of you. God is so good, so great, man. And I'm on fire and I'm excited about what he's doing for me. Amen.
over this room. If you have big faith, if you have just a little bit, let's just raise our hands before the Lord right now as a sign of surrender, as a sign not acknowledging that he is here. I know some of us, maybe we missed the retreater and you, maybe you're feeling like, man, maybe I missed something. And Man, God did some awesome things, but man, I'm telling you, God is not done. It's not like he just moves and retreats. He can move right now, this morning, in your heart. And these testimonies are, are shared because we want to build your faith. It's because we want to let you know that, man, God is still in the business of miracles. God is still doing things in this congregation, in your life. So right now as you're raising your hand, just say, God, speak to me. Just say, God, speak to me this morning. Speak to me through the worship. Speak to me through the word. Speak to me just right now, God, as I'm raising my hands, knowing that you're here, God. Just say, God, speak to me. Hallelujah. Jesus, have your way in this place. Have your way in this room, Jesus. King Jesus, we ask for you to walk in this room, God. We lay out the red carpet for you, God. We want to prepare the way for you, Jesus, right now. Right now, let's just start thinking about the Lord. If you're distracted by your neighbor, just move away from where you're at right now. If you need to come up to this altar, and I encourage you guys to do that all the time because it's easy to look around when there's people around you. But when you get up to the altar, when you get alone with God, you just start focusing on him more. So if you have to do that this morning, man, these altars are open to you. Come on, just close our eyes, raise our hands. Let's start getting alone with God right now. Just say, God, speak to me this morning. Speak to me, God. I want to hear what you're saying, God. I want to take part of what you have for me this morning, Jesus. Hallelujah. God, we want you to come, God. We want you to come, Jesus. Your word says, God, that, Lord, you come, Lord Jesus, when we seek your face, God that you draw near to us when we draw near to you. So God, we ask you to come, Lord. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come on, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to just start speaking in tongues right now. Let's just start setting up this room so that the Holy Spirit feels welcome. God, we want you to be welcome in this place. We welcome you, Holy Ghost. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Have your way this morning. We want to hear you, Jesus. We want to hear you, Lord. We want you to come like you promised. Jesus, we want to feel your presence, God. We need you, Lord. We need you, Jesus.
start telling him to pour out, to pour out his spirit upon us. Let's get desperate for him. Let me tell you something. God's not going to move on your skepticism. God's not going to move on your unbelief. God's not going to move if you fold your, your arms over and you say, prove yourself to me. God moves when you say, God, I'm trusting. God, I can't see, but I have faith. God moves upon your faith this morning. God will move when you trust him. So right now, let's get some eyes of faith this morning and say, God, I can't feel you right yet, but God, I know that your presence. So right now, all over this room, as a sign of faith, let's hold our hands up to heaven. Let's hold up our hands to heaven and say, God, I believe. I believe you're moving in this place. I believe you're moving in this place, God. I believe you're pouring out your spirit, God. All over this room, the Holy Spirit's moving right now. Jesus, come on, if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, I want you to start speaking out in that tongue right now. Jesus, Jesus. Come on, you're not going to feel him if you hold your hands crossed over your shoulders. Come on. He moves on your faith. He moves on your faith. He moves on your faith this morning. You don't understand it, but he moves on your faith this morning. I declare faith in this room. I declare for dead bodies to be raised up, for dead spirits to be made alive in the power of the Spirit. Come on, faith. Come on, faith. Raise those hands. Come on. Let's keep pressing forward. Jesus, fill this place. Fill this room with your presence. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me. Jesus, son of David, we call upon you. We call upon you, Lord, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Come on, somebody shouted freedom. Come on, you want freedom this morning. Somebody shouted freedom. Do you want freedom to praise him this morning? Jesus, come on, let's keep our voices raised right now. Jesus, Jesus. Jesus. You respond to faith this morning. You respond to hunger. You respond to desperation of our spirit, God. You respond to faith, God. Jesus. Jesus. God, all over this room. I believe you're speaking right now, Jesus. Hallelujah. Jesus, give us ears to hear what you're saying to us this morning. Now, we believe in this church that God speaks to his people. We believe in the book of Acts and the gifts of the Spirit. And right now, I open up this time, Holy Spirit, to speak to us. If you believe you have a word, a tongue, an interpretation of words right now, we open up this time for God to speak to us. Hallelujah. 
We need to repent as a people. Jesus, clean our hands. Clean our hands, God. Wash us of the filth, God, that we've brought in. Jesus, we don't want to lift up dirty hands to you. Come on, if that's you, come on. Just you and Jesus. You and Jesus right now. A heart to heart saying, God, wash me. You know the junk I did last night. You know the junk I did this week. God, Lord, forgive me. Let the blood of Jesus, God, run through this room, washing every sinner from from myself, oh God, to the back right now, God. Your forgiveness is available to us, God. Jesus, wash us, wash us. Wash us clean, Lord. Wash us clean. Oh, there's room for one more word. draw near to you, God. Right now, let's just draw near to him. Let's respond to the words this morning. Let's respond to the words that's saying that God is here. The word that's calling some of us to repent. The words that are calling us to be strong, to draw near to him. Let's start drawing near to him. And I believe God's breaking some things off of some lives right now, right now, right now, right now, Jesus. Draw near. We draw near draw near to you, Lord. How I do that is I raise my hands, I raise my heart, I give you everything. How I do that is I give it all, I give it all to you. Come break every chain, come break every chain, come break every chain, come break
as an anthem have set me free. It's for freedom. Now declare I am free. I am free. I am free. I am free. One more time, hands raised. Come on, hearts lifted up to God. Let's confess it. It is for freedom. That you have set me free. Come on, just the voices in the piano. I am free, and I am free, I am free. Can you sing it? I am free, I am free. I Come on, just the ladies sing. I am. Come on, ladies. Have you been bought by the blood of the Lamb? Sing it out. I am. Declare it, women of God. Come on, women of God, one more time. Say, I am free. I am free. I am free. Come on now, all the fellas. And I am free. And I am free. And I am free. I'm free to be a man of God. I am free. And I am free. And I am free. Free from the fear of man pornography. I am free. And I am free. Come on, warriors. Shout it out. I am free. I am free. Everybody in the house now say, I am free. And I am free. Jesus, I am free. I am free. Now we are free. We are free. We are free. Come on, one more time as your anthem. We are free. We are free. If you're free today, can you lift up a shout of praise with the hand cup of glory? God, we thank you for freedom. We'll never be the same. We're never going back to the devil's task masking. We are now free to serve you. And it is in that freedom that we will live. In Jesus' name, if you believe it, can you say amen? And give God one more hand clap of praise. Hallelujah. When you slap somebody high five and say, I am free, stay standing then and find five other people. Introduce yourself to them. Welcome to Metro Praise Sunday morning service.
else in the house? Can I hear an amen? Amen. God is so good. Thank you for coming this morning to church. This is a church that's alive, man. We are excited you are here. We just got back from a retreat. We had over 160 people come and 16 baptisms. Can we just give it up for Jesus? Come on. Man, thank you all for coming out. Those of you who couldn't make it, that's okay. We brought the fire here this morning. And then tonight we have a special revival service, old school style, healing, miracle, deliverance. We want you to be back here tonight at 7 o'clock, prophetic ministry. It is going to be awesome. Right here at 7 o'clock, I want it standing room only. I want to have to just hang out the rafters uh, from the ceilings. I want to open up the windows. We'll bust them down if we have to. We'll get a Eutychus ministry up here. You'll be sitting on the ledge. Don't fall asleep. I just want you all to come back tonight at 7 o'clock for an awesome service. Can you say what, what? Amen. So thank you for coming. Great retreat. This is our 11 a.m. service. We have a Wednesday uh, encounter night every Wednesday. Last Wednesday of the month is a time of fellowship, so make sure you come out for that. Also, Royal Rangers, an impact for our kids. And then LV. Come on, we baptized so many of you. It was so awesome baptizing a lot of elevators. Dude, did you just give me a little 808? You teasing me? Uh, come on, trouble like it up. Come on, don't play with me now. Come on. Uh, everybody put your hands together. You just, you put up, can I get the bass up a little bit? I don't know why you always bring me there when you're on the drums. Age of 18, Jesus Christ made me clean. Took away my sin, you know what I mean. I used to live for that devil. Now I'm on another level, living for Jesus Christ. Because I know it's right. Everybody throw them hands up in the air. Throw them like you know you just can't. Now when I say Jesus, everybody say Christ. Say in Jesus. Say in Jesus. Well, when I say heaven, everybody say yeah. Say in heaven. Say in heaven. Well, when I say hell, everybody say no. Say in hell. Saying hell. Come on, give it up for Jesus. Woo! Messing with me. Get on that 808. You don't know what's going to happen in church. Amen. We're so glad you're here. Elevators, we did that just for you because we love young people in church. Can we give it up for the young people one more time? Come on. We were all young once, and if we could do it over again, we would do it all for Jesus, right? That's the best lesson we can give to them. We uh, had a great time with Brother Glenn. He's going to be back here tonight at 7. So please uh, come out and God is going to show up. You got to be here so he can blow up. Amen. Just come out and let God do some good things in your life. We have a vision. Can everybody say vision? Thank you. To love God and love people. He said this was the greatest thing we could do on this earth. To love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And love our neighbor as ourselves. So if you're new here, we have information for you in the back. And if you've been coming here for a while, this is the vision of our church. Here it is. To love God and love people. Would you join with us? Be a part of the church where you can be loved and learn how to love God. It's such an honor that you are here today. And we want to take that serious and ask you to join with us to keep loving God and loving people. And the best way we can see to do that is to connect you to the cross, to train you with the cross, and send you out with the power of the cross. Can I hear an amen? Amen. And we believe the best way to connect you to the cross is through a life group. Does anybody get life at life groups in the house? 
Come on, make some noise for Life Group. Seven times for adults in the week, three for youth. You can find a place to meet during the week in a home with somebody who loves you, cares about you, have a Bible study, break some bread together, sing some songs, and share life together. We want you to connect through a Life Group. And while you're there at that Life Group, you can ask them and say, would you mentor me in the discipleship process of this church? Can somebody say mentor? Thank you. And they'll start you off in a one-on-one book. This is our one-on-one, and you'll do it one-on-one, just individually or couples together. And you'll begin to share your heart. We'll get to know you, and hopefully you'll draw closer to God. And then after you graduate from that, you can join our radical, just change the world, history maker, roof breakers for Jesus in the house, which is a 201 class. The books are back there online for free. And then we can send you out to change the world. Just push and say, send. Amen. We believe if we do this, we can see 100,000 disciples here in Chicago with 50 churches around this city, with 500 around the world. If you believe we can do it, can you say, let's do it? Amen. Thank you. I know we can. Here's something I got to talk to you about today. Will you open up your Bibles quickly with me? The first Corinthians chapter nine, first Corinthians chapter nine, verse nine. I want to share with you something. We are in the middle of a building campaign. And I'm going to ask that if they haven't already to hand out those pledge sheets, it is not for you to hand back in an offering, but it's for you to keep. I just want you to know the importance of this because it is still trickling in. We only received $442. That's awesome. But we need to receive some more this week because we are in trouble if we don't. I hate to say it like that, but I want to be honest with you, but I want to read a passage with you first. Can somebody say I'm ready? Amen. This is what the Bible says, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 9. Paul is speaking. He says, For it is written in the law of Moses, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out grain. Is it about ox that God is concerned? Surely he says this for us, doesn't he? Surely he says this for us. Somebody say, for us. Thank you. Yes, this was written for us. Because when the plowman plows and the thresher threshes, they ought to do so in the hope of sharing in the harvest. Verse 11 is the key scripture. Please listen as I uh, read as I talk. Uh, Listen as I read. (laughs) Help me, Lord. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much to ask if we reap a material harvest from you? If others have this right of support of you, shouldn't we have it all the more? Would you just give me your attention for a few moments, please? You know me as a pastor. We are not about money here. Uh, Ishmael, you did the uh, the counting and everything. 160 plus people. How many probably paid in full out of that 160? Probably about 40 or 50 percent. That means this retreat that we just went on, 60 percent were either fully scholarshiped or partially scholarship. Can you say amen for that? Do you understand that, how awesome that is? That is a church that says, we love you just the way you are. We're not here judging you by your checkbook. Come. So about 60% of the church was scholarship to go on this retreat. But the 40% could pay. Paul is speaking to the people of his day using a farmer's analogy. On the farm, they had to use animals to run equipment. They could use waterways and a water wheel, you know, and so forth. But if they weren't by water and if water couldn't power, they had to have an animal. And so one of the choice animals of that day was an ox. It was big. 
and they would attach the yoke to it. And in this case, it would walk around in a circle with a stick attached, attached to the yoke. And then when it, when it would walk around, it would move the, the wheel, the mill of the grain, the wheat, uh, and it would allow uh, the wheat to be crushed into flour or corn to be crushed into powder. Is everybody with me? Cornmeal, flour. Anybody ever seen those things before? Okay. Thank you. And so what Paul is saying in the Old Testament, as a principle, they were taught, don't muzzle the ox as he's working for you. Because if you muzzle the ox, he's going to pass out. He's not going to have any food. He's going to die. And then you're not going to have anybody to do the work for you. And then Paul says, is it really the ox that God is talking about? Is he really talking about the ox? And it's not. Who is he talking about? He's talking about the leaders in the church. And then listen to what he says again, please, in your Bible. Verse 11, if we have sown spiritually and put spiritual seed among you, is it too much if we reap a material harvest from you? I want to ask you that same question. If we as a church are working for you to give you spiritual seed, deliverance for your family, healing, Marriages being restored, baptisms, new life, community programs. If we are sowing spiritual things into you, is it too much to reap material things from you? You notice there's a question mark there. I can't answer that for you. I would hope that I could go to your head and shake it up and down and go, yes, it is a good thing. And then pull it out from you, yes. But I can't force you to do that. How many are happy that's not happening today? I got some people going, just give it a try, Pastor, see what happens. <laughs> just knock me out, right? The Bible is teaching us that if somebody is working for you spiritually, you've got to help them out materially. Because it's the material things that keep them going. It's the building, like for us, that keeps going. The lights and all of that. If we don't have that, you can't come. Well, here's the deal. We went for broke last year. Literally, for broke. We put it all on the line. You're looking at the pledge sheet. Okay? 11000 is to clear debt. If we don't do that right now, let me put this in everybody's understanding. We don't have rent for February. Okay, so we are at least, and Joe is right there, uh, just wave your fingers in the air. It's about 5300 under right now in the red, right? We, he's the accountant. We need 5000 starting this year, like not today, like yesterday. We're, we're, we're pleading for you. Help us. Some of you can give that at one time. Some of you can make partial gifts to that. Some are going to receive taxes back. You can do it during this season of three months. But we need to raise some of it right now. So I know a lot of you, when we spread things over three months, you kind of, you know, you sit back and go, okay, Pastor, I'm going to watch you. Who's going to give? Because a lot of the bigger givers, you like to see what's ever left over. I get the phone calls. Hey, uh, I'll clear it out. Listen to me, my friends. I need you to do that now. Because if we don't have it now, we're going to be in trouble from what we did in 2010. We put a lot on the line. How many are thankful for all we did in 2010? Amen. God did amazing things, and he's already doing more right now. We had 50 more people at this retreat than we did last year. It's just amazing. If you look at the sheet, uh, yeah, we could cut off the van. I mean, we could just say, Joe, we don't need the vans. Okay, stop picking up families. Cross the 5,000 off. 
We could say, we don't need to do anything to grow, no more signage, no more anything. I'm already here. I don't need anybody else to come, so we'll scratch that off. So even if you said to yourself, Joe, you're dreaming a little big, can you help me with the 11,000 today? I'm talking this week. Can you go online, use your card? Can you uh, put it in the Dropbox? Come back tonight and put it in the Dropbox. Can you help us? Right now, we are in that place because every time we get to the comfort zone of finances, we say, God, what's the next, uh, you know, how do we walk on water again? What's the next miracle? And I know sometimes as a congregation, you say, why does he ask us to do it? Well, 16 baptisms yesterday shows why we do it. The, the, the retreat shows why we do it. And, and that's why we take the beginning of the year to refocus for the next year to come. Amen. I know that many of you are in a tight place. Like I said, we sponsored 60%. I get it, but there is a 40% that can do it. And some of you, out of that 60%, your time may be now. You couldn't have maybe done it a couple weeks ago, but you may be able to do it now. Would you please prayerfully consider to help us to meet this need? It's right in front of you. Our accountant is right back there. There's never been a time in this church over seven years where we haven't kept it real with you. If you want the detailed sheets, you can talk to him. He'll print it right out of the office. We are here to be vulnerable and at the same time to be passionate so that when you go home today, you can go, Hey, man, I've invested in something that is changing the world. Hey, man, would you just stand to your feet with me now? Thank you for hearing my heart. Appreciate you. Thank you. Let's give it up for the $442. Amen. It's, somebody might have gave their best to do that. Thank you. You might have been obedient right at the beginning and said, I'm there, Pastor. And that might have been the best you could do as a, as a body. But we need the others to come in. Uh, we support 200 churches around the world with a separate offering for missions. We do building and missions. And uh, some good things are happening in the, uh, the mission field. I talked to them. Thursday was my birthday, by the way, if you don't know about that. Uh, birthday. Um, size 11, 36 waist, going into 38, like grays. No, I'm just kidding. Anyways, I'm just playing, guys. I'm just playing. I don't even Most of you don't even know this. I don't even celebrate my birthday. My wife, Nancy, she got me so upset because at we went to Fogo to Chow. My, my parents sent me some, some shekels. And we went there for lunch. And she, she broke the cardinal rule. She told them it was my birthday. And I felt so bad because I got upset. I'm like, don't do that. Because I'm one of those guys. Does anybody know anybody like that, the, the guy who doesn't celebrate his birthday? I guess I'm the only guy. So you know me. You know me. No, I'm that guy. Uh, don't celebrate Christmas either. This is not turning out to be a happy conversation, is it? <laughs> yes. We'll just transition right out of the guy who doesn't celebrate Christmas or his birthday. I'm not a Jehovah Witness. I do love Jesus. I do love Jesus. I'll celebrate your birthday and Christmas with you anytime, okay? But uh, some great things. I talked to him on my birthday, and it was like the best birthday present. That's why I brought it up. It was the best birthday present because they started sharing with me their goals for the year because I've been asking them, what are your guys' goals? And, man, they have some pretty enormous goals. Uh, they want to hit 100 churches in southern India. Pastor, uh, let me just say it's Pastor Madhav in Nepal is going to reach unreached people groups this year. Okay, now our mission convention, when we raise the funds for mission, comes in the spring, so that will be a good time. We're going to hear from all of them and their, their projects, but they're giving them to me now. Let me just give you a taste of this. Pastor Madhav is in Kathmandu, Nepal. Himalayan mountains, Mount Everest, tallest peak in the world, is about uh, 45 minutes away. Okay. But this is this is like mountain ranges, you know, like Mount Rocky Mountains. There are ranges of mountains. So he has to drive 
about three or four hours to a location where he gets into the mountain range and there's no vehicles. He then walks for three weeks in the mountain ranges of the Himalayas to reach villages who have never heard about Jesus. He said, that's what I'm going for this year, to reach more of those villages. Come on, somebody. I want to read you a testimony from one of them. This just shows you uh, the heart for missions because we never want to not give to missions, uh, even when we meet our own needs. I'm not even going to try to pronounce her last name, but this is Julie from Nigeria. She said, Pastor Joe, greetings of grace. I'm very happy to contact you for the first time. I know you may be astonished to see my email. I was a little astonished to see her email from Nigeria. For your information, I got permission from one of the pastors in Nigeria, the capital of Emos, uh, of Oweri, the capital of Emo State, to write you. He is the person, Pastor One Chime Fabian, pastoring Metro Praise in an old shoe factory in this address. So our pastor in Nigeria is an old shoe factory pastoring people. She got permission to email me. It's all, you know, being done in order here. She says, I was in their service Sunday and was so blessed by their Sunday school and the book right here, Welcome to Your New Life, okay, in Nigeria. She says, having studied with them for an hour in the Sunday school, I repented, gave my life to Jesus, and I am now going to live for the Lord. I have been a Christian for many years, but I have lacked direction. From the book, Helping Her See Her Direction. Some of us in America need to do that, right? Amen. But we're sending them overseas to do it until some of you guys get it, right? Amen. Are you going to let a Nigerian outdo you? Come on, somebody. Amen. Testimony became a rebuke. How does that happen? Let's keep going. Uh, the book refreshed my repentance and salvation and introduced me into a new life with meaning better than what I had before I went to the church. Here's the sad part, but I know we can do it because we've been doing it. Please, I need some copies for my family. I requested them from Pastor Chime, who we sent 500 to, but he told me there are only a few copies left, and then now they are for his church. Please, great daddy, she calls me daddy, because in their culture, they still look at pastors as a father figure. She said, please, great father, great daddy, a reformer of our time, kindly instruct your pastor, Chime, to release some of the copies to my family of 10. Would you continue to pray for the nations? Would you pray that we can continue to support them? I know it sounds like a lot. I get it, my friends. But we have a lot compared to them. Just keep them in your prayers. Amen? And it's for them that we keep growing because the more that we have here, the more we can give over there. Let's pray. Father, I thank you today for using us to change the world. It's not easy. We're suffering in America, but God, you're making a way. We pray for you to continue to supply us, Lord, with good seed, to sow in good ground so you can give us a good harvest. Bless our jobs and economy that are here in this city, Lord, and give us the nation that you've called us to have, a nation that is blessed with godly leaders that can govern us, Father. Help us to get out of debt individually and corporately and as a nation. And bless our children and our children's children with wisdom and prosperity and health. And be with the nations, God, who they are praying the same things for their government, and yet they're living in persecution and corruption. Bless them today in Nigeria, in India, Pakistan, and Nepal. 
And help us, Father, here to clear our debts and to know, oh man, oh, no man, nothing but to love him. You said if we give, it will be given back to us, pressed down, shaken together and running over. I pray you do it for your people now like never before in Jesus' name. And can all God's people say amen. Amen. Let's say it. And I, you know I'm meaning it this morning. Our confession of faith. One, two, three. In my God, we'll meet all your needs according to the riches of His glory in Christ Jesus. Will you come rejoicing as you give today? Thank you. Amen. Will you open up your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 28, 18 through 20. Can you just look at your neighbor and say, I'm so glad you're here. Now can you say it like you really mean it? Can you say it again? I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> Amen. You know your pastor got you saying all types of crazy stuff. You're just like, I'm so glad you're here. It's like, no, mean it. Praise God. This is the series we're in. We're in today on government. This is an awesome series to be a part of. We're taking back some mountains in Jesus' name. We believe God has called us to be a people of influence, to be above and not beneath, not as some type of an authoritarian figure dominating over people's lives, but to be leaders producing change in our culture. Amen? Influence, an attribute about a person that produces change. In our life, it is the power of the Holy Spirit penetrating through our pores, producing positive change and Pentecostal power everywhere we go. Amen? We're looking to the Scripture, Matthew 28, as our series Scripture that we're basing all of these mountains of influence on. And let's look at it now. Jesus said unto them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Who has all authority today, friends? Jesus, amen. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. How many know Jesus is with us right now? Amen. We are in the middle of a revival time here at this church because of the retreat and the special services. And I think this is a perfect message to tie in our weekend lessons from Brother Glenn. What he was teaching us is that we go through processes in life, and sometimes we get discouraged to think the process is the purpose, but the process is not the purpose. It's what brings us to the purpose. Give you an example. When I was in Bible college, I had to go through the process of studying to graduate. But I wasn't there just to get a diploma. That wasn't the purpose, was just a diploma. The purpose was to become an awesome man of God. Amen? Okay? When a woman is pregnant, like my wife, carrying around a baby for nine months, the process is the baby growing and developing, but the purpose isn't for the baby to stay in that womb for the rest of its life. The process brings it to birth because the purpose is for a new child to grow into a healthy adult. Amen? 
And the same thing with your job. Your job has a process of completing tasks to receive rewards, i.e. paycheck. But the paycheck is not the purpose of your job. If it is, I feel sorry for you. Your job should be fulfilling your purpose, adding something back to the community you live in. And if all you do is live for a paycheck, you're only living for the process, and that can get discouraging. You need to know your purpose, amen? And if all a mother sees is the process of bearing children, she'll forget the purpose of seeing a new human being. And if I forgot the pro- the purpose of the Bible college was to be a man of God, I would have got discouraged in the process. Having said all of that, now look at the greatest entity that we have in the natural world that is around us today, that is government. Can everybody say government? It is the largest entity. It is the greatest system that you and I are a part of every day of our life. It affects how we drive on the road. It affects the civil servants, the fire department, the the police, the people who take care of us. It affects how we spend our money, taxes, and where it goes to health care to fix the roads. And it determines the type of freedoms and the standard of living that we have, whether or not we're going to live in an impoverished dictatorship where the money all goes to the government, or are we living in a place of economic freedom? Everybody say government. Thank you. It comes from govern to govern. We are in a system of government here in America. Now, I want you to see why this is important for us today. Where you are today, you are in Chicago, you are in America. Let me help you understand why this mountain is important. You are in the greatest nation of the world right now. The nation of America is hands down the greatest nation to live in. It receives the most migration, the most immigrants come to live here for the purpose of succeeding, education opportunities, economic opportunities, freedom in this nation. It is an awesome nation. I am a fourth-generation citizen of this nation. My great-grandparents on one side came from Poland, the other ones from Italy. Not only is it a great nation to be a part of, it was based upon God in its foundation like no other nation. We are not going to just get past all of its mistakes and just lightly brush over them, but I need you to follow me on this today. Despite all of its mistakes, it is still and was founded upon God and is the greatest nation of our time. Let me give you one proof of this. Do you know... The nation, out of the 300 plus that are in the world today, that sends out the most missionaries to fulfill this command. Jesus said, all authority is mine. Go and make disciples of all nations. Do you know which nation sends out the most missionaries to fulfill this call to all the other nations? America. The United States of America has always led since its inception of the Moverians themselves planting here, the pilgrims coming here and then evangelizing the Native Americans and going forth from there, the mission societies. This is the greatest mission sending or uh, uh, government, uh, excuse me, nation of all the nations. It's not like Pakistan is trailing right behind us. It's not like Russia's in a close third. We stand out head and shoulders. Do you know the nation that gives the most charity and help to all the other nations? It is America. Now let me just help some of you here because I'm fourth generation. You may be first generation. 
And you may not understand the greatness of this country because you may be here using it as a rag just to get your own purposes and to throw it down when you're done. Let me tell you about the greatness of this country. When other countries have failed in economic and in freedom, people run here to find freedom and a place to start their life over again. When Nancy and I sat down and talked to her parents from Greece, anybody ever seen Greece on the news lately? Doesn't look like they're in the musical Greece right now, do they? Her parents came here for the purpose of finding a job, equal pay, and the ability to prosper. And they gave everything they had to come here. When you go back to Ishmael's parents and those from Latin America, and though every one of us can have a cultural pride about where we have come from, oh, we'll wave a flag on this day or eat a meal at our house, but when we think about the nations we have come from, they are incomparable in the rights to prosper, succeed, and to have a healthy family to this nation. Now, some may say, well, maybe Sweden is doing a little better than us and some of the standards of living and maybe some European nations will give us four weeks of vacation versus two. But, my friend, it's pretty easy to take care of a nation of four or five million compared to 300 million. And if you want to give up those things to try out Sweden, you may do that at any time because America allows you to do that. Now, some might be thinking all of a sudden, well, what about the slavery? What about the different things? Let me tell you a little bit about the slavery. Pastoring in New Orleans in the South uh, for seven and a half years, professors who were, who were segregated themselves, African-American men I call my pastors, studied African-American history to be able to understand, to preach to the people that I did, many of them coming out of the deepest, darkest segregation that America has ever known in Louisiana. Let me help you understand something. America's most bloodiest war, which killed all, more of all of its citizens and all of its wars together, was to bring liberation. It was in this nation that a Christian man, Martin Luther King, could have a proclamation of freedom. And today, other people may say, well, it was the white man. It was the white man. Well, let me just help demyth some of these things to you. You ever heard of Dofar? You ever heard of Sudan? African people are still enslaving African people. It gets quiet when I preach like this. Some people say, oh, it was the Christians. Do you know that the Islamic slave trade still exists today in Africa, Malaysia, and Bangladesh? It was a Christian nation that set out in its goal to provide a place of freedom and religious freedom, and it is a great nation. And we need to understand as Christians that a part of our responsibility here is to make America great again. If you don't want to make America great again, there are forces at work right now that will make America what they want it to be. And you have no idea what that looks like. I'm going to show you in just a moment what it looks like when God is removed from a culture and the precepts of democracy, which are founded in the Bible, are taken away what it looks like to a people. But before I do, I want you, if you have any type of a dollar bill or currency, to pull it out right now as an example, please. So everybody, pull out a dollar bill or currency if you have one. I'm a credit card guy only, so if you have one, can I borrow it? Please bring it out, and then we're going to know who's really holding back from the offering. Amen. Okay, now we know. 
Don't you be shy. Still pull it out. It's worth the illustration. Okay, now just get out any type of bill that you have. A coin would work as well. And just lift it up right here. Come on, let's lift it up. Okay, I just want to know who's holding back. Amen. Just want to know. <laughs> and, and look on the back of your dollar bill. You've heard me say it before in this church, but let me, let me say it here. In God we trust. This nation put on its dollar bill and its currency in God we trust. How do you think we've been doing at that lately? I think we have traded our trust in God to trust in this. And that is why our debt has gone through the ceiling. That is why today we have nothing to leave for our children. And we may, as they pass this in Congress, have more debt than we have national income. And I don't know about you, but I was just appalled by the video that came two blocks from the Wicker campus of a young Asian man being beaten up for three minutes on a YouTube video. Did anybody see that? And not only is it appalling in and of itself, but it's so appalling of the worldview that the young person who videotaped it actually put it up on YouTube to actually display it to the world. We no longer trust in God. We trust in this. We send our kids to schools because we think because we have the most money that the schools are going to fix their problem. When we get to the mountain of education, I'm going to inform you on what's going wrong in our schools. But let me take a little little journey there right now. Ever heard of Harvard? Anybody ever heard of that school? How about Princeton? How about Yale? Anybody heard of these schools called the Ivy League colleges? You know what they were in the colonial American times? Bible colleges. And even if you wanted to be a lawyer, you wanted to be a doctor, if you wanted to be anything when you came to our Ivy League colleges, guess what you had to take as a minor as a part of your degree? Theology. You had to. Because the best lawyers are Christian lawyers. The best doctors are Christian doctors. The best inventors are Christian. That is how our founding fathers thought. Now, we'll get into a little bit of other religions and so forth, but the most Christian thing we could do was to let other religions have freedom, but we let them know right from the start we are a Christian nation. You can come and worship your God, but we are a Christian nation. And among the government, the majority of us, we want to keep it this way. That is what they said. Are you listening? We have changed the trust in God for the trust in this right here. And I want to ask you today, do you want to get back this government, the government where you have come from another country for whatever reason to be here, do you want to see this nation become great again? And let me just demythicize something here because now not just working among African Americans, but the majority of people that have worked among here are the Latinos still to this day. About 40 per 50% is Latino, then the rest is Asian, African American, European, etc., do you know that when the Latin Americans were coming, mostly from Mexico but from other Latin American countries, around the 70s and 80s, uh, the conservative base, like what I would be a part of, the Christian, we said maybe they will help rejuvenate us with their morality because they come from strong family and religious backgrounds. Do you want to know what happened to the Latin American people as they came here? The statistics show that they found the way into the undercurrent of our society and their families began to break up the highest rate of teenage 
pregnancy is now among the Latin American. They have passed the African American because as a minority, instead of finding greatness in America and its morality and its higher standard of living, they were brought down by the cesspool of our media and entertainment and the environments we live in. They are now outdoing the African American in jail and gangs and all of these other things. So the Latin American people who came here right across the border with family values have not uplifted us but have gone down the same cesspool as the rest of us. What America needs is across all cultures. There's only one race, the human race. What we need is across all cultures. We need to become one nation under God. We need to become a group of people that trust in God again and join together and live the life that he's called us to live. Whoever's bill that says, can you come get it before I spend it? Amen. Would you prepare that first video for me, please? I want you to watch this. And I want this to bless you and give you something to think about as we continue to preach on the mountain of government. Is America really a Christian nation? It is a question some people may be asking this Independence Day. So what did America's founders really believe? Paul Strand has tonight's focus report. Independence Hall in Philadelphia. Here gathered the men who fought a revolution and created a country, the most free country to have ever existed. Why so much freedom? Some say because these revolutionaries really accepted what the Bible said about human beings, that they are created in the image and likeness of God. Robert Hutchinson, author of The Politically Incorrect Guide to the Bible, says for the first time in history, An entire country was actually founded upon the idea that all human beings possess certain innate, uh, inalienable natural rights, and that these are not privileges that are bestowed by the state, but are gifts from God that no state, no king or potentate uh, can take away. So what did the men who gathered in this hall believe? Some modern scholars would have you think, if they did believe in a God, he was a distant one, far removed from the affairs of men. But others indicate they believed in the God of the Bible, an intimate Lord who bestowed upon them blessings and gave them both responsibilities and rights. Pastor Peter Lilback recently wrote Wall of Misconception, in part to correct misunderstandings about the founders and their faith. There are those who would like to argue that we were started by secularists, those that had no interest in religion. At best, they were deists, that God was irrelevant, and a deist said God has not spoken. There's no word of God for a deist because God's not involved in history. And yet Lilback points out the Bible is the book these revolutionaries turned to over and over again when laying the foundations of America. Over one-third of the citations of our founders come directly from the scriptures more than any other book. They were not biblically ignorant. As one writer says, they knew the Bible right down to their fingertips. Another third of the founders' citations came from masters of philosophy and law, who just happened to be Christians who drew deeply from the Bible. John Locke, Montesquieu, and Blackstone. All of them were Christian thinkers. And that is two-thirds of our founders' writings by explicitly Christian thinkers and the Bible. Interestingly, the Founding Fathers didn't feel it was simply their right to overthrow their British rulers, but a biblical responsibility. There are clear passages in the Bible that when a ruler becomes a tyrant, it is the duty of the people to overthrow him because he ceases to be a legitimate leader and is now a criminal. Two of the most famous founders felt so deeply about this idea, they thought it should become America's motto. Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin both wanted to have the motto, rebellion to tyrants is obedience to God. And that's actually a very biblical idea. Some scholars say these founders wanted a high wall of separation between church and state, 
and infer that meant they wanted a vast distance between God and government. It's absolutely clear our founders did not want to separate God and government. The Declaration of Independence on four occasions refers to God, and that created our government. The last words of the United States uh, Constitution say, in the year of our Lord, 1787, every preamble of every state constitution begins with an affirmation of the existence of God. Lilbach says the wall the founders built with the First Amendment was to prevent America establishing a coercive state church like so many other countries. So it wasn't to separate God and government. It was rather, we don't want the government to tell us how to interpret the Bible and how to use the Bible in our worship. We want to be protected from government coercion. The very fact the founders created a democratic republic is because of their biblical beliefs. The ancient Israelites were basically a tribal democracy. And in Deuteronomy, God commands that the people select leaders from all the people. The founders who gathered here at Independence Hall time and again spoke of how they felt God expected them to forge a form of government that could best guard the rights he gave human beings. They searched diligently in the writings of top Christian philosophers for the best ideas. The Catholic theologian Thomas Aquinas thought that the ideal form of government was a mixed government that had elements of a democracy, an aristocracy, and a kingship. That's remarkably similar to what our founders created a Congress to represent the people, a judiciary to judge their laws, and an executive to execute those laws. It's all meant to give the maximum amount of liberty to a free people and protect their God-given rights. If you don't believe that human rights are something given by God, uh, then they can be taken away at the whim of the state. And we've seen that time and again when atheistic regimes have taken over. When a citizen who met Ben Franklin outside Independence Hall asked what he and the other founders had created inside, he said, a republic, if you can keep it. The second president, John Adams, warned, our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. In other words, only in a land where citizens believe God made men free will freedom long survive. As Patrick Henry put it, it is when a people forget God that tyrants forge their chains. Hutchinson says, with few exceptions, The only countries on earth that actually practice religious tolerance and have civil liberties and political freedom are those nations that descended from the biblical heritage. The reason it matters whether or not the founding fathers were true Christian believers is because if they weren't, how could they have formed a Christian nation? And that's a crucial question of national identity. It didn't used to be back in 1891, when the U.S. Supreme Court itself declared this is a Christian nation. Paul Strand, CBN News, reporting from Philadelphia. Come on, let's give it up for we a Christian more nation. About America's Christian Amen. Heritage. You can go to CBN.com. Now, does that mean that we haven't made mistakes? Does that mean that every section. founding father was we'll perfect? Right no, but what it teaches us is that this nation was here for a purpose, and the founders intended it to be a certain kind of a nation. And if we are going to be people of influence, we need to work within this nation and to see God use it for his glory. Now, I would preach this message differently to any other nation, and I would say go to biblical principles like they are right now going to biblical principles in Nigeria, and it's causing a lot of issues because the Muslims don't like losing power, but they're going to biblical principles. There are other nations that are doing that, but our nation doesn't need to go forward and create new principles. We need to go back and affirm the principles we already had. 1776, 29 out of the 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence had seminary degrees. I want you to think about that. What is probably the greatest document 
that declares the freedom of a nation, enabling you and I to be here, the leaders that sat down and made that document, more than half of them, their degree is the degree that I have today, a master's degree in theology and religion. And they formed the country you are in right now. Just let that sink in for a minute. Because so often when I talk to people on the streets in Wicker Park and so forth, they think Christians play make-believe. That all this is is one big sandbox for adults to play in on the weekends. It's kind of like the Trekkie convention when people put on the ears and they want to dress up like Spock and, 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 you know, long live and prosper. They think Christianity is just a bunch of make-believe. The greatest nation in the world financially. The greatest nation in the world militarily. The greatest nation in the world in freedom was based upon the writings of theologians, 29 out of the 56. 1782, Congress printed the first Bible on this continent. The Congress did it, sponsored by the taxes of the people. They printed the first Bible in this nation. Do you know why? To send to the schools to be their textbooks. Congress printed the first Bible here in America sent them to the schools to be their textbooks. Would you put up the Wikipedia link, please, of the chaplaincy of the House of Representatives? When a president is sworn in, what does he put his hands on? A Bible. When somebody's about ready to testify in court, what do they put their hands on? A Bible. Do you know that Congress does not meet even to this day without an opening prayer to the God that we know as the Father, Son, and the Holy Ghost? Here you see, in 1789, the Congre uh, Continental Congress uh, appointed that each day should proceed, start with an opening prayer by the chaplain. Can you make it a little bit bigger uh, for us, please, as you scroll down to the prayer chapel in Capitol Hill? This is a stained glass window found in Capitol Hill. They have told us we cannot pray in school, but still to this day, they don't meet in Congress until they pray. And they have a prayer room in chap a chapel in the U.S. Capitol building. And you know who's on the stained glass window? The Virgin Mary, a disciple. No, you know who's there? George Washington folded hands and praying in the prayer room. This is your nation. Will you take some honor in it today? Will you honor this nation today? Will you see your part in this nation? You may have problems with this nation. You may not agree with this nation. But this nation was built upon people who wanted us to trust in God. And I am pleading with you today to trust in God again so that this nation can be great. Not just for some uh, patriotic reason, but for the proclamation of the gospel to the nations. So that we can keep sending missionaries and charitable work all across the globe. Do you know that when I go to India, they pray for America probably more than you do? They say, God bless America. Because from America we get our Bibles. God bless them. Because from America the missionaries come. God bless them. Because from them all of these non-for-profit organizations work with them. They pray for America all the time. The Christians over there. Because they want to see God prosper us. From 1782 to 1857, almost 100 years, you want to know where the big megachurch was in our country? You want to know where the biggest gathering of Christians on Sunday was? 
in the U.S. Capitol building. You want to know who led the worship? The Marine Corps Band. For almost a hundred years, the largest church in America was in our Capitol building. You know who said it should be there? Thomas Jefferson. He says things about Christianity because he didn't agree with it all. But even Thomas Jefferson knew that the best way to govern a people is through the Bible and through Christianity. And he opened up the Capitol Hill, the place where you see the big pillars, the big white building, not the White House, but Capitol Hill. He opened it up for church on Sundays and said, the Marine Corps Band, you lead worship here. And for almost 100 years, it was the largest meeting of Christians in America. Even until 1881, some of us think, well, it was just at the beginning. Maybe this was the culture of their day. No, they were leaving the Church of England. They were leaving papacy and controlled nations by the Roman Catholics. They knew when they came here the detriment of religions and state together. So what they were saying is the state and the, the, the president and the pope are not going to work together to, re, to, to oppress the people. But that never meant they didn't want God or the Christian God in their government. Hence the reason for chaplains, Bibles, are you listening to me? Prayer rooms in the Capitol room. 1881, President James Garfield, 20th president. Do you know what he was before he was a president? He was a circuit-riding preacher. Has America been perfect? No, but it is the greatest nation on this earth. That's why you're here. That is why your ancestors came here, and that is why we are here today, because we believe in this nation, and we want to see this nation become great to help and touch and reach the other nations. Do I agree with every policy? No. Do I agree with every military effort? No. But we need to pray for the nation and bring change to this nation and be leaders in this nation. It is the Christian church that is the bedrock of this nation. Now, I want to put a little bit of fear in you if you think listen to me this is not important for those of us that know it's important there's no fear we're going to serve God but for those of you who are just thinking to yourself if you could get the other video ready for me please I want to put a little fear in you because you have no idea in history what our nation is doing and where it will go in just a few moments, we're going to play a video about Germany, but many of you do not know about Germany. Let me help you understand. Germany was the birthplace of the Reformation, which brought freedom, religious freedom to the people. The Reformers, most of them were German. The first Bibles that were being printed in the common language was German, Martin Luther, and so forth. These men grew a nation in Europe to be based on freedom. But in the German nation, they began to have a democracy that in the democracy, they started to remove religion from their roots. And then there came somebody who said, I know just what to replace it with. Would you play the video, please? Thank you. Go and take your time, baby. What happens when a nation forgets God? People went to Nuremberg as skeptics and they came back praying, Our Father Adolf, which art in Nuremberg, the Third Reich come. We must not follow the dangerous path taken by Nazi Germany. Tyranny, the high cost of forgetting God. 
America is still a land of great freedom and prosperity, where religious liberty and free speech are in most cases protected. She has not completely forgotten God. And yet, are there lessons she can learn from a nation that did? In Nazi Germany, belief in the lies of Darwinism, racism, and the love of nation above God led to the eventual loss of all liberty and the mass destruction of life. Under Adolf Hitler's tyranny, six million Jews and millions of other so-called undesirables were exterminated, including Christians who opposed Hitler's worldview and practices. The crimes of Nazism were so huge. But the point to be made is this, that there were certain cultural streams in Germany that allowed the Holocaust to take place. For example, in Nazi Germany, Hitler forbid school prayers, banned Christmas carols and nativity plays, and actually changed the date of Christmas to December 21st, the date of the winter solstice. All the while, most of the church kept silent. In the United States, prayer in public schools has been banned since the 1960s. The Ten Commandments have been stripped from courthouses, and the celebration of Christmas exchanged in some schools for a commemoration of the winter solstice. When a nation forgets God, I think we are building our own gallows. When we see the, 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 the striking parallels between Nazi Germany and even modern America, we see those we think, my goodness, what can we do? What America really needs is a spiritual revolution. Our real issue has to do with the issues of the gospel and the transformation of life. We must not let this nation forget God and follow the dangerous path taken by Nazi Germany. Please, help us get the truth out with this DVD. Amen. We want to send you Thank a DVD. You. If you want that DVD, experience. get it. I'm not here to sell the DVD. It's a point in fact. When Germany forgot God, when they as a democracy started to believe evolution over creationism, that we were just products of chance, survival of the fittest over millions and billions of years, they then began to believe racism. You see, racism is a product of Darwinism. It's social evolution. I mean, come on, y'all, think about it. When we talk about dogs, one has got to be the best dog. When they talk about roaches, one has got to be the best roach. Well, just look at us. One of us has got to be the best. One color has got to be more evolved than the other. One shape of the eye has got to be more evolved than the other. Are you listening to me? It's, it, it is a part of what we believe when you believe evolution. And it's being taught to your children right now. That is why in America 40, billion child, uh, 40 million children can be killed in abortion clinics because it's no different than killing a hamster. Which, by the way, the, uh, Drew Barrymore will make a movie about saving a herd of uh, whales and they will hold a federal offense against taking a, a, a bald eagle's egg. You can kill a baby in America because we've lost our values. And then you begin to teach our businessmen there's no right and wrong, that there's no absolute truth. And then you see Enron, and then you see Bernie Madoff, and you begin to see the corruption of politics because they believe all truth is absolute and uh, is, is not absolute. And, and one with the most toys at the end wins. And an evolutionary atheistic theology, if I have more than you, then I win. Because... When Bernie Madoff's son committed suicide after he robbed all those people, if there's no God to judge him, he did all right. 
You see, our culture has tried to push God out of the public atmosphere, push God out of our courts, push God out of our schools. And this, my friends, is where we come from. Let me give you John Adams. John Adams was there at the signing of the Declaration. Even a liberal TV station like HBO made a mini documentary about him because John Adams was one of the most key thinkers, a lawyer, to put together the three-tier government that we have today. As it was mentioned before in the video, that we have a judiciary system, which is the Supreme Court. We have a legislative system, which is Congress. And then we have an executive system, which is the presidency. They got this from the Bible. John Adams was a lawyer. He was an intrinsic thinker. He was a well-educated man, and he saw one of the best ways to form our government was to have somebody in charge. But that person in charge must have representation by the people, so we need a Congress. And then there must be a deciding factor between the, the president and the people if there's ever an issue over the law, the judiciary system. Are you listening to me? That came from the Bible you're going to read in just a little bit. There was Moses and his leadership, and then there was the tribal leaders, and then there were judges placed over the people. He got this from the Bible. You don't believe me? Look at it. Second president of the United States, John Adams. The general principles of which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. Are you all listening to me right now? The man who was there orchestrating the greatest nation that you are a part of right now. The greatest nation was constructed on the basic principles of Christianity. It wasn't meant to be Christian in its government to make everybody worship Jesus. No, the most Christian thing they could do in government is allow each man to choose their own path, to give them freedom. That is why we are the most free nation. I debated right up here, Nadir Ahmed from Pakistan. I debated him right here. And I took him out to breakfast or, or dinner beforehand. And, and I said, my friend, why do you live in America? Because you're free. We have freedom. Well, well Pakistan is better. Afghanistan, Iran. Why don't you live in a Muslim nation? Because we have no freedom to raise our children here. And I said, why is that? And he said, because you Christians got it better than we did. He actually admitted it to me. He admitted the Christians did better than the Muslims in forming government. Are you listening to me, my friends? John Adams said our basic principles came from the Bible. You know what Sharia law is, Muslim principles? That's what's in Saudi Arabia right now. The women cannot even drive. There is no religious freedom from them. The most Christian thing we could do was let Muslims come here and preach on the streets and say what they want because that's Christian to give them freedom. That's why we're the most freest nation is because we're Christian. But if we're not grounded in God, our freedoms will become a license to sin and we'll just vote it right over to the devil. And I saw this in politics with, with a pastor in this city, and I hardly ever call out names, but Jeremiah Wright, a backslidden pastor, had a member of his church that got ideas from the pulpit and went into office. That is now our president. You want to know why our president doesn't want to be friends with Israel. You want to know why our president's not trying to stop abortion. Go talk to his pastor. His pastor helped form his worldview. Are you all listening to me? He went to church, he had a world view, but it was formed by someone who did not believe like our fathers believed. It's not about race, 
It's not about our culture. It's not about, Joe, you're white, I'm black, I'm pink, I'm purple. It's not about this. It's what is the best for this nation? What did God give us? Is this Bible real, or are we just playing in a sandbox make-believe? John Adams, the mind behind the three-tier system of government, signer of the Declaration of Independence, the second president, a great friend to George Washington, said the general principles of which the fathers achieved independence were the general principles of Christianity. I will avow that I believed then and now believe that those general principles of Christianity are as eternal and immutable as the existence and attributes of God. I'm not talking like let's just become so patriotic we don't understand the Bible. I'm a part of the kingdom of God before I'm a part of anything. But those men understood that too. And look how far we've come. Look how far. Just just come on, friends. Think about the news you watched last night. Think about what you deal with on your job. The corruption, the lying, the violence, the drugs, the alcoholism, the disrespect for any kind of authority. Why? Because we've taught people you came from an animal. Is it any surprise that they act like animals? You talk about in the church... I just put the statistics in our new discipleship book. I rewrote it. Do you know that only 14% of Christians in the church believe the Bible is the authority for moral truth? That means 85% of you here today, probably not Metro Praise, we'll hope for better than that, but 85% who are showing up on a Sunday morning don't believe the Bible is the final word of authority? Do you know that over half, 55% of Christians right now believe that homosexuality is okay in God's eyes? That over 80% of Christians in the church, George Barnapole, I put it in the book, I finally wanted it there, 80% of Christians believe other religions can go to heaven. There's no major difference between the Quran, the Book of Mormon, and the Bible. 80%. No wonder they look at you crazy on your job. No wonder they think we're crazy at Metro Praise. We have become the minority here. John Adams said, I believe as long as God has ever been around, God has set these principles up. Number two, his son, sixth president of the United States, John Quincy Adams. In the chain of human events, the birthday of the nation is indissolubly linked with the birthday of the Savior. The Declaration of Independence laid the cornerstone of human government upon the first precepts of Christianity. The government then, the majority of them, were good men that said, we'll take the government principles and lay it upon the principles of Christianity. Now, you live in a house. You live in an apartment building. We're in a building. What happens if you start messing with the foundation of a building? What happens if you start taking out the cement, concrete foundations of that building? What happens when a nation tells uh, their children not to pray in school when Congress put the first Bibles in schools? Now you replace prayer with metal detectors. What happens when businessman loses the concept of justness, justice and fairness on his job? Now you see the corruption of corporate America. What happens when politics are not held accountable to the Bible that they swore on? Now you see all of the, the distrust and, and, and the lies in the politics. What I want to ask you today is do you want to be a part of the change? 
You see, don't get this in your mind that America is so big. I'm just here for the ride to be Jimmy, and I'll take all you can give me. Oh, I just came here to make some money in America. I don't really care about America. I just came here to take from it. I don't care. I just want my kids to be okay. I don't care about their kids, third and fourth generation. I just want a good school for them. Shame on you. This nation will not be great unless this generation right now stops the madness. Stop the sinning and put God, as that, as that video was saying, revival back in the land. I want to give you five things that God is asking you to do to be on the mountain of influence in government. Five things. Number one, live a righteous life. Number two, pray for the nation's leadership and citizens. Number three, vote and support candidates who support God's morality. Number four, support righteous causes. Number five, run for office. Now you see, when we talk about these mountains of influence, there are things that all of us can do, things that you know each one of us can do. Five is only for a few of us, but hey, if there was an Obama sitting in a Jeremiah Wright congregation, who might be sitting in here today? I would like to hope that sometime in my life I would see men and women come from here to stand on that mountain. Amen? Why not from here? I said, why not from here? And if we don't have that in this church, we don't have the privilege, then why not from Moody? Why not from a godly church in this city? Praise the Lord. But those first four things we can all do. I want to go over them quickly. I only have a few moments, and some of you are looking at whether or not you still like me. I hope that you do. But more than that, I hope you love the Word of God. Can you say amen? Amen. Amen. You can kill the messenger, but the messenger triumphs on. Come on. Here it is, Proverbs 11, 10 through 11. This is the Bible they use. This is what we can look to today. When the righteous prosper, the city prospers. When the wicked perish, there are shouts of joy. Through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked is destroyed. This country is a government by the, for the, come on somebody. This is a government, what, by the, and for the, It starts with individuals right now. It starts with you right now as an individual. You get to choose right now how you live. How is your family going to live? What will you teach your children? You have the greatest influence over your life. You don't have to follow media. You don't have to follow secular uh, education right now. You make the decision who you will follow. If you don't steal, your children don't steal and then I don't steal, and then my children don't steal, nobody steals. Oh, come on, somebody got to say amen. You don't lie. Your children don't lie. I don't lie. My children don't lie. Your neighbor don't lie. We begin to stop lying. Don't you think to yourself the problem is ever bigger than the solution when you're dealing with God. He said greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Hello, somebody. God can still change our government and make this a great place to live for all people. One nation under God. Make a decision today to be righteous. You stop lying, stealing, cheating. And when you do, the city rejoices. Teach your children to hate violence, to love good. Be honest and fair. When you are on the job, when you're in charge, be honest and fair. 
When you're working and serving customers, be honest and fair. Treat one another as you want to be treated. You start right now, the individual. Let God do it in you. And the Bible says, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. Now, I I just got to say this one more time because sometimes I don't know really if you really believe the Bible. This is either a fortune cookie or this is our way out of the mess right here. This is either just something you just read with IE green eggs and ham or this is the only way this nation becomes great where you don't have to fear walking down Millennium Park at night where gang members throw bottles at my wife and I had somebody try to carjack us another time and saw a shootout at the Walgreens right there in Milwaukee in Belmont. There's only one way out of this my friends. It is the blessing of the upright. A city is exalted. Hallelujah. Somebody needs to get that blessing and pour it out over this city. Just bless this city. Pray for this city. Live right because God can't bless what he promised he would curse. I'm going to say it again. God can't bless what he promised he would curse. He said he would curse corruption, injustice, and murder of our unborn. He would curse it, but he'll bless honesty, integrity, justice, love for the alien, the stranger, the orphan, the widow, the one that helps the other, the neighbor. He'll bless that people. Number one way to change how you live, to make this place great, it doesn't matter where you came from, how old you are, just live righteous. Number two, pray for the nation's leadership and citizens, 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. Now, this is not some kind of just pat answer. This is not trivial. Well, I just kind of pray. No, the, the forefathers thought it was so important they don't pray. They don't, they don't have Congress until they pray. They believe that prayer is beseeching Almighty God. God, the Bible says, holds kings in His hands and sways their hearts like waterways. God is in charge, my friend. Trust God. I urge you then, first of all, somebody say, first of all. Thank you that requests, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and all those in authority, that we may live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and holiness. What are we praying for? That our government is safe. That our leadership is fair and just. If there is a God and He asked us to pray, then there must be answers from that God. Do you believe there is such a God? Do you believe there's such a God, my friends, that hears us when we pray? This is good, verse 3, and pleases God our Savior who wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men, the testimony given in his proper time. We're not forcing religion here. When, when you came to that school and you read the Bible, they didn't make you become a Christian. There's always been other cultures and nationalities with us. And if you study black history, there's been African-American leaders here from the very beginning. Hasn't been perfect. But I'm saying when Christians get together, we understand you may not want to be uh, Protestant. You may be Catholic. But if we as Christians can unite under these things, our nation will be great again. If we can believe that God is the God of this government and he is mediated through Jesus, you you don't have to do that. That's okay. But in America, our God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is our God here. Amen? 
When you go to India, you don't know anything about church separation. You get off the airport, all their idols are everywhere. The moment you go into any store, all their idols are anywhere. You ever get into a taxi cab here and see some of the, the, the Hindu drivers, they have their idols? That's how it is everywhere in India. And after being there two weeks, seeing the hunger, seeing the pain, being with my pastors, and then traveling to Nepal and seeing the same thing, I looked at my wife and I said, I'm so sick of these demons ruling these people. Not my words, words of pastors that I work with. It's these demons that toss, taught them the caste system, that the, the tears of strangers are mostly water. They care not for their neighbor because this one was cursed through the karmic system of their Hindu beliefs. The Brahmins, the priests are at the top. And it's the American Christians who go over there and lay down their lives for them. And they're praying for our government. Will you pray for the hope of America that God will give us a destiny in the future? Amen? And that whatever you think is wicked that I'm not mentioning today, that God will expose it. Because I am not in favor of any wickedness of any kind. Number three, vote and support candidates who will support God's morality. You see, we get a vote here. We get to vote. Now, as a church, as a 501c3 in the government status, I cannot tell you the person to vote for. That would be going against the status they put us under, and some have an issue with that. But I'm actually okay with that because I don't ever think there's just one or two candidates. There's multiple candidates, and you get to pick the one you like. That is fine. But you need to support the ones who support God's morality. I remember talking to Andrew. He's part of the Chicago Plumbers Union. And he said, they came to me and said, gentlemen, vote for your paycheck. You see, this world wants to tell you, you vote for that dollar. You vote. Don't forget about morality. Now's not the time for morality. You just vote to get the most money right now. Just go to the voting polls and think about what's going to get you more money, honey. It's either in God we trust or in that dollar bill we trust, friends. I'm telling you right now, it is not worth it. You put your trust in God and you vote for morality, you're going to be held accountable for those votes, my friends. Listen to what the Bible says right here in Deuteronomy 1, 9 through 18. At that time I said to you, this is Moses talking, it says, you are too heavy of a burden for me to carry alone. The Lord God has increased your numbers so that today you are as many as the stars in the sky. So Moses says, you guys are a lot of people. I can't take care of you all. Verse 11. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, increase you thousand times and bless you as he promised. But how can I bear your problems, your burdens, and your disputes all by myself? Verse 13, choose some wise, understanding, and respected men from each of your tribes, and I will set them over you. And then you answer back to me, your purpose to do is good. Do you see in the Bible, Moses, like a president, is saying, I can't do this alone. Vote in your tribes who will represent the people. That's in the Bible. You think Babylon was doing that? Hello? Of that time? You think Egypt was having the tribes vote for their leaders? My friends, the Bible gave us democracy well before the time of the fathers in America, but the principles were there. Amen? Verse 15, so I took the leading men of your tribes, wise and respected men, and appointed them to have authority of you over commanders of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens, and tribal officials. I charged your judges, somebody say judges, thank you at that time, to hear the disputes between your brothers and judge fairly, whether the case is between brother Israelite or between one of them and a what? An alien, a non-citizen. Here's, here's fairness. Do not show partiality in judging. Hear both small and great alike. Do not be afraid of any man, for judgment belongs to God. 
Bring me any case too hard for you, and I will hear it. And at that time, I told you everything you were to do. How do you vote? Right here. Choose wise, understanding, and respected men. Aldermen, choose a wise, understanding, and respected man. President, choose a wise, understand. Are you all with me? Judge, choose a wise, understanding, and respected man. As we would say in summarizing those three things, how would we say it before in Old English? God-fearing. God-fearing man. You can't be wise without God. The Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. I mean, come on, somebody. God-fearing man. Number four, if you're with me, say I'm there. I'm closing in just a moment. Support righteous causes. Psalms 1. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and all his law does he meditate day and night. He is like a tree planted by the streams of water which yield his fruit in season. His leaf does not wither and whatever he does prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like the chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous. Somebody say the way of the righteous. Amen. But the way of the wicked will what? Perish. Let me give you some things right now to care about. Let's end abortion. Let's end abortion. Number two, preserve traditional marriage. Number three, fight corruption. Number four, guard freedom of religion. And number five. Protect our citizens. We may disagree on the intricacies. We may disagree on health care. We may disagree on other things, but I don't see a Christian that can rightfully be called so and disagree on these things right here. This is not an opinion. We may have disagreements on immigration. There are people here who are not here legally. We are praying with them and helping them. Some of them go back. Some of them stay. We are helping in many ways we can on immigration, all these things. But one thing we always do is love them and treat them fairly. We may disagree on welfare and how it should be done and whether or not uh, we should become a welfare state or health care. But one thing we always want to do is love people and treat them fairly. Do kind and good things unto them. Amen? But here are things without disagreement. We want to end the... The, the murder clinics of our nation to take off the curse of abortion. We want to end this perversion that is trying to invade our families right now. We want to bring a, a purity into the government where they fear God again. We want there to be freedom for religion so that we can keep preaching that they don't take us out of the schools and we want to protect the people that are here. Amen? Let me say this quickly in closing today. That if you are here and you are called to run for office, if you look at Daniel 1, 17 through 21, the Bible talks about Daniel, his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, being chosen to be governors in Babylon. Even though our country is dealing with much wickedness and sin, God can raise you up to be a leader. Daniel prayed three times a day as a governor. What's your excuse? Hey, he was a governor, but he still made time to pray three times a day. Are you a governor? But you're so busy you can't pray. Daniel gave all the credit to God. The people knew that what he did was unto God. He was a respected leader, and he was even respected among the pagans. You can do it in America, my friends. And I want to say that to anybody here, and just don't forget the little people. Amen. Would you all stand up? Let's give the Lord a hand clap for his word today. Amen. Band, would you come? There is a mountain of influence in our nation, the mountain of government. And we have a choice to whether or not we want to be there or if we want let others be there. How many know there's people right now fighting to get at the top of that mountain? You ever heard of a vote where they 
were voting for an office and they said, hey, nobody wanted to have this office. Do you know that while the Christian is sitting back, somebody else is taking that office? Somebody else is being that judge? Somebody else is telling you how much taxes you're going to pay? Somebody's determining what your roads are going to be like in front of your house, what day you can put out your garbage, what day you can't, whether or not you can put a chair in front of your house. Somebody say, ghetto. After you shoveled all day, don't do that. Let somebody else have it. Be nice, okay? People are ready to slap each other over there, get in a fight. Come on. How much your fines are going to be, what your children learn in school, how many of you either went to public school or are in public school right now? Could you raise your hand? See, what you learn in school, you get to make a choice. Live a righteous life. Pray for the nation's leadership and citizens. Vote and support candidates who support God's morality. Support righteous causes. And those of you who can make a difference, do it. One of the most touching pictures that I love when I think of this country and how being a fourth-generation immigrant, I can make a difference, is this picture right here. Say what you want about him. All the mistakes you can think of, I'm there with you. I don't love unrighteousness in any form or fashion. But church people, what does that look like right there? That looks like a prayer meeting to me. They had enough sense when they were signing that Declaration of Independence to hit their knees and start asking God for help. Would you do that today in your heart and in your life and in this week and the weeks to come? Would you trust God? Would you trust God? Some of you, I see young people, you could become a school president. You can, you can influence change. You can start a school club. Some of you on your jobs, you can come up with procedures to protect integrity. Others of you, like we talked about in business, you can be successful like David Green, and you can almost double minimum wage. You can help expose falsehood, promote light. But what we all can do at all times is we can do this. We can pray. Because there are 300 million people that need God's blessing in this nation. When we were making this globe, for us in this church, I wanted it to be America. Because you know I love the nations. I I cry and weep for them. But it would be wrong for me to think about others' nations and not my own nation. So for this congregation, your focus for God is for us and then for others. Because if He doesn't do it here, why are we asking Him to do it over there? We want to say to them, God is doing it here. Follow our example over there. Here is the scripture that I think says it better than I ever could. Second Chronicles 7.14. This is God speaking. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Would you just close your eyes right now? If you feel like kneeling, you can. But would you just pray a few moments for this nation before you live out of here today? Could I just ask you for a few moments to pray for this nation that God would heal our land, 
that God would heal our land. Jesus, we need you today, God. Oh, Lord, we don't want to be a prideful nation, an unjust and unfair nation. Oh, God, make your name great here. Make your name great. Forgive us of our corruption. Forgive us of the corrupt politics here in Chicago. The greed of businessmen. The history we have of violence in the mafia. The idolatry of sports and entertainment. Lord, forgive us. You've done great things in Chicago. Would you do it again, God? Would you do it again among all people groups that are here? Oh, God, all the nationalities represented even in this church today. Would you make America great for them and for their children? Would they be the people of God you called them to be? Oh, God, would you help us in this nation? Change our hearts. Change our lives. Help us to live for you. Help us to put you first again. And to not trust in money, but to trust in you. Forgive us of our sins of slavery. Forgive us of our, sl- our sins of exploitation. Of wars done out of greed and unjust causes. Forgive us, O oh God, of our perversion, our moral filth, our laziness in the areas, God, of integrity where we've lowered the standard. And we ask you, God, to bless America. To bless America. A few more moments, friends. Come on. Come on. Can you pray like your job depends on it? Can you pray just for a few more moments like your children's safety depends on it? Come on. Can you pray right now like our soldiers depend on it? Would you pray right now like our churches depend on it? God bless America. Take away the curse of sin. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Just want to say this in closing, altar workers, would you come? We're going to have a time of prayer and worship at the end. Uh, We'll dismiss if you need to go in just a moment. But we will have prayer workers. I know there's some that really desire prayer for other issues. We're here. But make sure you come back at 7 because God is going to meet you here in a powerful way. I'm looking forward to it. Thank you, altar workers. But I want you to hear this before we go. God bless America. While the storm clouds gather from across the sea, let us swear allegiance to a land that's free. Let us all be grateful for a land so fair and raise our voices in a solemn prayer. God bless America, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her Through the night with a light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my home sweet 
home. God bless us today as we live for you. Those that have to go in a few moments, I pray they'll remember this message. And for the rest of their life, they'll make America great so that we can fulfill the Great Commission. And Lord, for those that have needs today, would you bless them, encourage them, and help us all to come back tonight to believe you once again to do miracles. It's how you develop the Bible Belt through circuit-riding preachers and revivals. Would you do it here tonight in Chicago just like you did with D.L. Moody and some of the early Pentecostal Italians in this city? Would you bring revival to us again tonight? In Jesus' name. And can all God's people say amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. And we're going to worship now. If you want to pray with us, we're here for anything. Have a great day. We'll see you at church tonight and at Life Groups. Thank you.